Well, good morning. We are so delighted that you can join us today. We've often seen September as a season and a time where many people explore joining a church. So we're just delighted that you're able to be with us. You know, in August as a family, we went camping. As we turned up, the lady at the entrance said to us, do you want to have the, the pitch that you've been allocated or do you want to have an upgrade? I mean, come on like why why even ask the question but basically they had two log cabins that overlooked the lake and they couldn't put anybody in the log cabins because of the virus and so they were saying that we could pitch directly in front of those and enjoy the view honestly it couldn't have been a better spot for me i was like this is favor this is this is the provision of God, like get in, this is what we're, we're dreaming of. of. Of course we will take that upgrade. Anyway, a few days later, as we're away camping, I'm reading the news and basically Storm Ellen is coming. Mega winds, all of that kind of stuff, the rain and what have you. Now, I know this is a bit of a bad attitude and a bit cynical, but with the weather, I often don't go with what the weather, the weather people say. I often think they get it wrong so often. I just look out the window and I just see how it is. Anyway, I happened to say to Steph just before we were going to bed, oh, they say that Storm Ellen's coming. And um, anyway, 2.30 in the morning the next day, I'm awake and I'm listening to the wind. Now, this, this isn't just wind. What the news said it would be is a tropical cyclone. This was something else. Anyway, somehow Liv is sleeping through it. She's only three. Steph and Soph are awake and the tent, surprisingly, was hardly moving. And as I got out of the sleeping pod, there's this huge crash as basically the whole food table that was in the day tent, including the stove and everything, fell over and crashes and smashes to the floor. Now, I as many of you know, I like a bit of drama. So I'm out there smacking in the tent pegs. Now, there's there's like normal tent pegs that some of you will have seen. Then there's like extra strong tent pegs. And then there's these things that I've got that basically you could anchor a car off them. Now, to be honest, other than just two sides of our day tent, they didn't really need the extra pegs. Nothing had really moved. The pegs were pretty secure. The guide ropes on the whole thing hadn't really slipped and the tent was actually holding up surprisingly quite remarkably well. Then I looked around and I realised the spot we're in. We were in an amazing spot, sheltered by some huge, very large trees. There's these huts that you couldn't rent out that we're pitched against. And literally, the wind was just rolling over the top of them and hardly touching us at all. And then I saw the people next to us were abandoning their tent and moving for the car because the tree that they were pitched under was nearly coming down. All around the site, I could see people, they were up, torches were on, some tents were up in the air, people were clinging on, I'm not even exaggerating, they were clinging on for dear life to some of their belongings. Gazebos are heading for the lake, there's somebody the day before just left a boat, just pulled up against the water's edge, hadn't even anchored it down, and that was just taking off down, down the lake. People were hastily bringing down their awnings on some of their caravans. Literally, the, the family just in front of us, they were like in our view a little way away 
the whole tent was up in the air and I could see the husband, he was just clinging on for dear life to the corner of his tent whilst his wife hastily repositioned the car in her, in her dressing gown to try and create some kind of windshield and windbreak. It was absolutely mental, it was chaos. And I said to Sophie, who's six, I was like, do you want to go for a walk? Now honestly, when you say to a six-year-old, uh, like half two in the morning, do you want to go for a walk? Of course she says yes. So we've offered to help as many people as we could. And then we went back to bed. Aside from the noise, we were virtually untouched compared to any of us. Now, actually, we did come home much earlier than planned because the forecast for rain, I did actually pay attention to it. It was something else. And uh, there's nothing worse than taking a tent down in the rain. And a few days later, I actually saw on the news that the emergency services had had to evacuate the whole site because of flooding. Now, why, why do I tell you all of that about our holiday? Because the challenge with the storm that night was some people were deeply, deeply affected. Others like ourselves, actually it hardly impacted at all. Now it's a bit of a cheesy explanation, and some of you will have heard it before, to say that with this virus, we're all in the same storm, but we're in a different boat. It's so cheesy, but it is actually so true. Now the temptation, the challenge for us, is this, this can really divide us. We can see our differences and they can be really heightened in this time. I read this book while we were away called Analog Church, talking about we need real people, real places and things in the digital age, and we so do. I am so tired of the amount of blogs and posts that I've seen saying that the future of the church is digital, the future of the church is online. Honestly, the future of the church is as it has always been, in-person relationships, being family, forming community, and reaching into the lives of those around us, loving and serving each other, and pointing people to Jesus. Don't get me wrong, I think there'll always be positives of the digital, particularly born out of a time like this that shapes us for the better. But one of the best things we will offer the world in the days ahead. One of the things that we can offer a broken and hurting world around us is in-person, real, genuine relationships, discipleship making and discipleship forming interactions. In the same way, I believe the same is true with the opportunity we currently have to show unity. We can be united in a divided time. We can be united in a way that communicates the life and the hope and the truth of Jesus. And I believe it will be a really powerful sign and symbol to the world around us in the days ahead. Everywhere I look currently, I see so much division. Also, I believe regardless of this virus, actually unity is something that the enemy comes after so hard. And so we need to fix up and look sharp. We need to be ready, we need to be prepared, and we need to be on guard. Today I want to start a new series called United. I want us to reflect on what it is to be united in a divided time. 
I've sensed this for a while, but I've also seen the prophetic voices really start to stir and to speak into this. So I believe that for us as the church, this is going to be a really fruitful series as we lean into this, because I believe God is stirring it. We're going to spend a few weeks on this, not necessarily consecutively, but to keep it fresh and hopefully challenging, each time I'm going to come at it from a slightly different angle. I'm also going to try and land on a phrase so that each time you can go away and reflect and consider some of the implications of this for yourselves. So today I want to look at, this is the one to remember, today I want to look at what it's like to be in the context of unity, to be faithful managers. Faithful managers. 1 Corinthians verse 4, sorry, chapter 4 verse 2 says this, Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. A person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. The context of the passage is that Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and to the church there, that he and Apollos, who were servants of Jesus, have been put in charge of explaining the gospel. You know, we've been put in charge, we have been entrusted with the message of Jesus. We have to be faithful to all that he has given us. One of the ways that the enemy is going to try and unsettle and to disturb us is to come at us through bringing about division. Now, what does, what does it look like? to be faithful managers. I'm going to briefly just reflect on three C's. Commitment, compassion and confession. I'd encourage you to reflect on some of these this coming week. So the first is this, commitment. To be committed to God is to be committed to his community, the church. I think we often underestimate the power and the importance of loving each other. Is so crucial. Commitment and consistent love for each other is key to a healthy spiritual life because it's God's prescribed environment for growth. It's based first on a commitment to God. To be committed to God is then to be committed to his community, the church. This isn't just a commitment to the theory of it, but to the actual body of people. And if we increase our commitment to each other, we're going to increase our trust of and for each other. And if we increase our trust, it settles our insecurities and it allows us to have safe places to process our vulnerabilities and to heal our hurt. Before I go any further, can I just ask us a few questions to stir us to become faithful managers of unity in regard to commitment? The first one would be this. What do we need to change in our approach to how we love the whole church? For you individually this morning, can I ask you that? What do you need to change in your approach to how you love the whole church? That could be a whole host of things. How committed are you to others? To not just our needs, but others' needs, their needs. Not just when it's easy and we naturally relate, but when others draw out our frustrations. When other people need grace because of me. Does that make sense? Other people I know need grace because of me. So other people will need grace because of you. I can't always think there is a need for change in another person because I can't control them and I'm not accountable for them. But I am for me. 
and I am for my behaviour and I am for my attitude and I have a responsibility to do something about that. I need to be the one who allows the Holy Spirit to change me. But when the going gets tough, I need to seek the best, believe the best and call out the best in others around me, not just clash. That's what a faithful manager does. The second question I wanted to ask, are you fully aware and not just actually aware, but living out and acting on the call to unity that Jesus demands of us? You could spend some time looking at that and exploring what that call to unity is, but I think it is riddled through the Gospels. It's everywhere. There is a call to unity. Again, if we're actually going to do this and think about this, it's going to change us. To be faithful to the commitment to unity, we need to put this into motion. And if we haven't already reflected on what Jesus calls us to, the demands he asks of us in a call to unity, we would be wise to spend some time on it to allow it to be maximised in our lives. Then the third question is this, is my day-to-day -day living contributing towards the unity of the body of Christ, the church, or does it divide it and isolate it? Okay, now I know we, we're jumping in quick and this is really getting under the skin of this. But is how I'm living bringing unity or not? Because if we aren't, we're giving the enemy a foothold and if we are, we're extending the kingdom. So we need to think it through because the little comments, the thoughts and the interactions that we have, they make a difference. Is my day-to-day -day living contributing towards the unity of the body of Christ, the church, or does it divide it? and isolate it? Can I just keep pushing us in terms of our commitment to unity? Because this is crucial, because we all have a contribution to make. Not only do we have an inherent need to belong, we also need to make a valuable contribution. That's what it is to be needed. Relationships need to be two ways. We need to know others and be known by others, to love and to be loved. The purpose and the value that comes from from contributing have a profound impact on our spiritual growth. If we're not contributing, we're actually stagnating in our growth. Again, that can only be done and found in relationships, hence the future of the church isn't online, it's in person. Because the, dis the discovery of spiritual great gifts is, is crucial to our discipleship, it's vital to our discipleship. The very nature of spiritual gifts requires relationships because the gifts aren't given by God to be used by us just for ourselves. They're given by God to reach into the lives of other people. In the context of relationships, we discover our gifts, we grow in our gifts, and we learn to use our gifts effectively. As we learn to confidently yet humbly use them, our, our identity in Jesus is formed, and then we start to move towards wholeness. Again, that takes commitment. It's no different to, to something like worship. It's not about what we can get. This is about what we might give and we might offer and as we offer it and give it we see it grow and we see it multiplied. We have to be committed and committed to unity to see all that the Father wants to do among us flourish. So that's commitment. The second thing is this, compassion. A com commitment to unity is going to mean that we need to increase our compassion. Honestly, you, you know this, I don't need to share this with us, this is hard work. This is where it gets really interesting, I think, because 
to have a commitment to each other and to have unity basically means that we've really got to commit to each other and that means all of us. And that means that includes our faults, our weaknesses, our insecurities, our frustrations, our irritations, our anxieties, our behaviours. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I think the list is almost endless. And that's just me before I get out of bed. You know, I'm just being honest. I'm not talking about trying to always find agreement with each other. That would be borderline impossible, I think. What unity among us, though, should look like is a oneness of heart, of mind, and of spirit, despite our varying opinions or lack of agreement over issues. Imagine the impact. Rather than seeking total agreement, imagine if we cried out to God that among others we would find unity in our relationships with each other. I believe it extends the kingdom. To do that, we need to have compassion for each other. The, the trap can be that we often look for the frills and the constant exhilaration of relationships and the trap of only seeking to see our own needs met. That's a trap and a lie, I believe, of the enemy because then when others fall short of our expectations, when they don't live up to what we wanted or what we needed and it reveals imperfections or they fail to meet our needs in the way that we were looking for, we start to isolate ourselves from others. Have you ever done that? Honestly, I want to call you back today, back to the point of unity, to allow those hurts to dispel and come back to the place that God will give you life again. Because Jesus calls us beyond that to a mature commitment and a love for his people. And to do that, we've got to have soft hearts of compassion for each other. We're living in a crazy time. You know, I'm, I'm seeing the, the shortcomings of this, the lack of emotional intelligence, the lack of compassionate responses. In so many environments, I see that around me. When I look to our street, to our neighbourhood, to some of the places around us that we would go often. Honestly, it feels like the Wild West. But Jesus calls his church to be a different place and praise God it is. Praise God we are. The question, I think, some of the questions we've got to ask ourselves is, is where, where's the me first line on this? Because I think that's got to change. I, we've got to be willing to go there and look at where for us it's been a me first mindset. You know, my tent is so well pegged down. I've got some amazing tent pegs. We are in a phenomenal location and the wind is rolling over the top of us. But when I look around the campsite, I see others scrambling in their pajamas, clinging onto just a corner of their tent at the end of themselves. Currently jobs have been lost, businesses are under threat, some people are clinging to their marriages, mental well-being is really up against it, there's relational pain and tension and most of that is regardless of the virus. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, Yes, I try and find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Compassion, compassion, compassion. For others forms and it builds unity because we seek to find common ground with those that we're relating to. We try and avoid a know-it-all attitude. I believe that's partly what that passage is saying. We go out of our way to help others feel included and accepted and loved and honoured and call out good and then and we consistently find opportunities to turn it back to Jesus to spread the good news and to share in its blessing.
You know, a friend of mine used to always say to me, I think I may have shared this with some of you before, he used to say, whatever you need, Paul, whatever you need, I'm in this journey with you. Do you need my kidney? He used to say. Thankfully, we never had to explore that as an option, but it was his way of saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm in here. I'm in this with you. I'm committed to you. I'm walking life out alongside you. You know, we, we often live out what we've learnt, and so many of us are having to unlearn some of what we've been taught and now learn and allow the Holy Spirit to break in and teach us a new thing, to reset us. We're all going to be at different starting points with that and we need grace and compassion for each other as we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us what unity is, not from a place of defensive um, stubbornness and pain, but from a place of softness through what the Holy Spirit wants to draw us together. So often we have mistrust. What the Holy Spirit wants to teach us to do is to trust. What's the outworking of unity in me? That the overflow of my heart, the expression of compassion, would find any and every opportunity to step in to support, to encourage and to cheer on and to act in a way that brings the fullness of the kingdom among us. That's what it looks like to be a faithful manager of unity. The unity that we've been entrusted with by the Father. We're unity defenders. We want to be called out and be unity defenders. That actually sounds really cheesy. That's, I think, would, you know, Will Smith said something slightly different. Community defenders, did he say? Anyway, let's move on. But the question I, I often ask myself is, am I willing to enter into that? We've got to know what we're trying to do because sometimes that is a really difficult process. There's a cost to it. Building true community among us is actually committing to that warts and all for the sake of the kingdom. My, my answer, as you would hope, would be, yes, I am willing, 100%, both feet in, but it can be painful. It can hurt. It can mean lost sleep. It can mean going around in circles. It can mean being misunderstood. But it can also mean sowing the seeds for seeing people to come alive. It can mean the difference between spiritual death and life. It can mean that we start to enter into kingdom unity that I believe we're called to. And when we enter into that place, we see the kingdom flourish among us on quite remarkable levels to put on display something to the world around us that is so powerful and is a weapon of transformation, kingdom unity. It's a remarkable foretaste of what's to come when we see Jesus face to face. A commitment firstly to unity. Unity then grows and flows from our compassionate outlook and response to others. So it's commitment, then it's compassion, and then finally confession. Confession leads us to unity. How we act reflects what we believe. Freedom is found in forgiveness. Now obviously none of you would be as stubborn as me. None of you would think you're right when you're not or see the world sometimes just through one lens. All of you would obviously be very quick and um, easily keep short accounts, would have no records of wrong, would be people that are overflowing with grace and have a desire to seek and see forgiveness where we've caused tensions or see unresolved unresolved discord. You know, every day, I've got to be honest, I feel like I'm starting again. I'm on my knees. Father, forgive me for where I've got it wrong. 
please start me again and please give me grace for others. Give me strength to walk alongside others in the way that you call me to. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people? of the world. You know, Paul was saying to the Corinthians that they're not yet spiritually healthy or mature. The proof was that they quarreled like children, allowing divisions to distract them and divide them. So much of the message that Paul taught to and was trying to teach the, Corinth, the church at Corinth was to stop being divided and start being united. They were divided in a time of division and he was calling them to unity in the same time and the same culture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 6, he says, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We prove ourselves. You know, the evidence of, of transformation that takes place among us, the evidence of our hearts being formed into the likeness of Jesus, is when, among other things, unity forms among us. What if we learn more quickly to get on our knees before Jesus? What if we learn more quickly to say, I'm sorry? To move more quickly to have short accounts, more quickly to come before Jesus and confess our frailties and seek forgiveness and seek freedom and seek unity. Colossians 2, uh, 3, 12 sorry, says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the lord forgave you so you must forgive others above all clothe yourselves with love which binds us together in perfect harmony as we come to a fuller understanding of god's love and forgiveness for us it helps us love and forgive others we're then able to let god worry about the wrongs that we've suffered rather than harbour them and hold on to them ourselves. We make allowance for each other's faults and we seek to forgive anyone who offends us. So easy to say, so much harder to do. Honestly, as we start out afresh this term together, would it be that we'd reflect on what the Lord is calling us to be, to be faithful managers, to foster a God-given spirit of unity among us? To do that, I believe it's going to take a number of things, but the starting place today was a commitment to it and to each other, a compassion for each other and a confession to each other and before the Lord that would allow this spirit of unity to flow freely, freely and begin to really manifest among us. I hope that's helpful for us this morning to reflect on this coming week. Why don't we just pray together? It might help to close your eyes. I'm just going to invite Steph to join me, but let's spend some time allowing the spirit of God to move among us. Lord Jesus, we welcome you.